Welcome to the Gotham Principles Podcast with Alon Barzilai. Entrepreneurial lessons that will unlock your business superpowers. Okay, so thank you for joining us for another episode. In this one, we're going to take a deep dive into a team we all know a lot about, Guardians of the Galaxy, and explore what we can all learn from that team and the team dynamics and apply that to our own businesses and how we can build better teams that work and function really well together. So Alan, let's jump into it now. Tell us a little bit about Guardians of the Galaxy, and I think maybe a good place to start is how they all came together, because we know they aren't necessarily a family, and they came together because of circumstances. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, look at your own company to start with. It's a ragtag team of vagrants, of people who wandered into your life at different stages, at different times. Unless you're in a real traditional family business that doesn't have anyone else, you have a company that over time, people come your way, people are recruited. So it starts with recognizing that your team, as it stands today, is different than it was in the past and different than what it'll be in the future. And the same is very, very true of Guardians of the Galaxy. It's not one small group of people, it's an evolution. In the beginning, there's the core members. There's a classic scene where they line them up. You know, it's a police roundup, and you get to know the critical details of each player. That's the core team that you think about. Peter Jason Quill from Terra, raised from youth by a band of mercenaries called the Ravagers, led by Yandu Udanta. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't know how this machine worked. What a bunch of a-holes. Transport all four to the kiln. But over time, they add more people. There's the empath, the woman with the antennas, who's added. There's his former mentor, who was part villain, then hero. It's a constant evolution of people coming together. So that sounds a lot like, obviously, any business as it grows and the team comes together. And I think one of the big points here is that a family is organically grown together by genetics, obviously. But... This team has come together by circumstance, which is very similar to how our own companies grow. And I think one of the topics there is that when people come together for the first time, there's a tendency to judge people, like judging a book by its cover, but there's something more deeper there. And Guardians of the Galaxy, I think, are really representative of that, right? Well, sure. You know, think about what the team looks like. You have a talking, walking tree, a genetically altered talking raccoon, a hot former assassin or an intergalactic criminal, people who are half human and half God. You know, this is a team that doesn't look like each other. I think what's interesting is when we have new people joining our team, there's a concept of Weberism. Weber was an organizational behavioral scientist who created this concept named after himself of, well, we at IBM. There's a we, we at the Guardian of the Galaxy. We're all one. But in the very beginning, they look like very different species. So somebody new to your company sees you as a team and accepts the premise as a group, as a solid way of being, as a machine that's finally oiled and works well. But to get there, you're kind of bringing people to the table who are distinctly different from each other. So that would naturally bring up something that I know you talk about a lot, and obviously it occurs in all organizations, but certainly when you're looking at a team like Guardians of the Galaxy, 
they tend to argue and fight a lot, right? And is that type of conflict bad for an organization or is that something healthy? Well, of course it's healthy. Otherwise you explode when you have different people and different ways of thinking. There's no group think. People will fake it. I look for those people in my organization and get rid of them as fast as you can because they're the ones who harbor ill feelings. And I think what's really interesting is when you look at the history of comic books, it really started with the Fantastic Four. When Stan Lee wanted to create a unique team, that was a family, and families bicker. They openly have issues and problems. And that's what he wanted to bring to the superhero world. And I think that Guardians of the Galaxy is a following of that tradition. For the most part, the family is the group as a whole. I think that people by nature, we're social creatures. You're always looking for friends at work. The workplace can become your new family. And that's exactly what happened to these people. Very common superhero trope is parents die, you're an orphan. Maybe not literally, maybe it's not literally your father figure, maybe you're not literally dead, you know, there's a separation, but look at each and every one of these characters. A loved one is killed off, starting with Star-Lord. There was a separation. His father, he never got to meet, so it's like he's an orphan. And then he actually becomes an orphan when his mother dies. And eventually he meets him in the second film, but he doesn't have a family. Now look at Gamora. Again, she was taken away from her real family. And her adopted stepfather, not the best guy, and has problems. So it's, it's a constant theme of every individual character looking for a new family. And when you have a new family, there are going to be issues and problems. So let's talk a little bit about the journey and the leadership roles in that journey, specifically Guardians of the Galaxy, but how does that apply to all of our journeys collectively as, as business owners and members of companies like that? Well, you may be the leader of your company. You're an entrepreneur. You're the CEO. But you don't come out of the box ready as a leader. You are going through a learning process. So take a look at Peter Quill. This is the Star-Lord character. You know, I think a great example of this is when the Guardians realize that they and the entire galaxy is going to be destroyed by Ronan, the bad guy in the first film with that Infinity Stone. You know, it's Quill, it's Peter Quill, Star-Lord, who says he has a plan. So naturally the team is skeptical, and rightfully so, and Quill admits that he only has uh, 12% of the plan, but he has supporters. You know, Groot points out through Rocket that it's better to have a 12% of a plan than an 11% of a plan. And through the power of personal appeal, eventually the rest of the team works together to create a strategy that saves the entire galaxy. You see, Peter's 12% of the plan is crucial to saving lives. He alerts other players that there's an invasion that's coming and they should evacuate the city. That 12% is what turned the needle but ultimately, he goes and looks at the rest of his team to help him with the plan. The greatest planner on the Guardian of the Galaxy team is the raccoon. It's Rocket. If we're gonna get out of here, we're gonna need to get into that watchtower. And to do that, I'm gonna need a few things. Everyone's favorite part of Guardians of the Galaxy was the escape from the prison. So you look at Rocket, he's brilliantly using his knowledge gained from breaking out of several other prisons. He knew exactly what materials he needed, plus some extra leg and who would be the best at you know, retrieving them. And you know, he's a planner. But you know what he didn't count on? His Groot. 
He had no idea that Groot was going to come and turn into a really large extended tree and improvise. Well, we could just get it first and improvise. I'll get the armband. So look at how these teams work together with leadership. You have the unofficial leader, Star-Lord, who is guiding them. The guy on the team who's the strategist, Rocket, who's the great planner, but even he can't account for everything and people will improvise and plan on the team. That's what makes good team dynamics. It's not that there's one guy in charge, he tells you what to do, sir, yes, sir, how high should I jump? If you think that's what a planner is, you're sadly mistaken. That is the Superman way of thinking, that you are the greatest, you are the all-powerful, everybody follow you. It is okay to learn in the process, and true leadership is letting other people on your team help you lead. You don't have to agree on everything in order to work together. And I think that's something that Guardian and the Galaxy shows very well. They make fun of each other, they tease each other, but they support each other. I often say in my company, we're not a democracy. In real estate development, it's not real estate development kickball. We can't have everybody come and gets a turn to kick the ball. There is nothing worse than design by committee. We're not all equals. It's a dictatorship, maybe a benevolent dictatorship. I, I, ultimately, I'm the king, I'm the leader, and we don't shut off ideas. We're gonna listen to everybody. But if you're gonna have group think where everyone has to think the same and agree, you're in the wrong business because entrepreneurship, if people have different skills and vision, you know, that's what makes nonprofits so limited and so ineffective. First of all, they're not financially driven, they're mission driven. They often come with a culture of let's all hold hands and sing Kumbaya. And to get everybody on the same page, well, that takes a lot of time. In business, time is money, we don't have a chance. You don't have to understand and you don't have to originate but you have to play ball because you work here. It is a privilege, not a right. You can't be combative. You can't be disruptive. You can't fight against the team, but ultimately somebody has to make a decision and we're gonna go with something and it may not be your way. Let's shift gears a little bit because you mentioned Groot. We always talk about communication on teams and Groot, from my perspective, would be one of the world's worst communicators. I think he only says one line. I'm so what do we learn from that? How do we apply that to our own organizations? Well, there's, there's a lot you can take away from Groot. I, I think Groot definitely steals the show. Everybody loves this character, but let's take him apart. The first thing is identity. All he says is, I am Groot. He is constantly repeating every day who he is, which is implying what he stands for. Can you imagine back when you were a kid in grade school? In my experience, when I went to a public school, the very first thing we had to do is we come into the homeroom class, we would pledge allegiance to the flag. We would basically say, I am American. I am Groot. Imagine in your company, if every morning everyone got together and said, we are urban conversions. This is what we stand for. Now that's a very literal approach of I am Groot, but he knows who he is. And I, and I think that's the real underlying lesson there. And I think this comes up with some other superheroes too, but understanding who you are, what your role is on the team, and being very clear in how you communicate that, right? Well, but it's also an indoctrination process. You see, you're gonna have a new employee. He's Groot. He's not you. 
He comes to this company with his own education, his own experience. He worked at other companies. And the first thing that happens is he wants to prove his value. I am Groot. This is who I am. I'm a civil engineer. I'm a young go-getter. I'm the older, experienced woman. They define themselves. So look what happens in the movie. I am Groot. I am Groot. I am Groot. In the first film, it's so amazing. The one word that changed. We are Groot. He becomes kind of a basket tree to protect everyone inside of the ball and says, it's we, it's us. And that's back to that Weberistic thinking. In the beginning, somebody is going to be identifying who they are, how things should be. But over time, subconsciously, we pick up on the way that we're a we. It's an evolution, but it's also literally a regeneration. Think about what happens. He goes from being this giant tree-like figure to a little seed. He has to grow again. So when somebody joins your company, it's very hard to break through that redwood exterior of hard bark. They're protecting themselves like a giant strong tree. Think about a tree. You cut a tree and you look at the rings to see you know, how many rings to see how old and what it's been through. That's how they, I'm Groot. I'm this big tree. I've done this. I've done this. You got to come to your company and relearn. I know you have knowledge and skills and abilities. That's why we recruited you. You're a great player. But you got to do it our way. Be reborn. And you know what happens? That's what in the second movie. He's, he's a baby, you know, seedling, and he's growing. And he's learning to regrow within your organization. So the other thing about Groot that I think everybody recalls is that it's kind of the comic relief. He's part of the fun of the team and of the films. What do we take from that? Well, I think part of the regeneration process of this seedling is he's bringing to the table youthful exuberance. Why is he so funny? I remember in the opening sequence of the second film, they're fighting this octopus-like monster, and everyone's working as a team. They're fighting hard, and they're getting their ass kicked in the process, and there's laser beams and fights and all this excitement. And then look at this little guy. He's chasing this rat-like figure and he's dancing and having fun. What if you had somebody on your team always smiling, always having fun? There's another scene where the spaceship is taking off and this little group guy, little plant, has his body spread out, smacking on the window, staring, woo, wow. Every sense of adventure, fun, you yourself can take a lesson. In my company, we have electric smart cars. They're branded. They have these, you remember when you a little boy, you had this little uh, wind-up toy cars? It looks like it's a wind-up toy car. We have a small fleet of them. They serve a very important purpose. We have projects, properties all, all over town. They're small to medium size leasing agents and maintenance people got to go from point A to point B and for 200 bucks a month I lease these things it's very cost effective it is cheaper than Ubers and taxis it is a financially driven decision but you know what the side effect is it's fun these things are silent they turn on a dime you can park them anywhere everybody's like a little celebrity because they go in the street and everyone points and talks oh that's so cool and that moment of fun that youthful exuberance you know, that, that's what I talk about elsewhere on this website, is finding that childlike curiosity that turns into entrepreneurial pragmatism. But at the core of it, it's taking a moment and having fun.
And now in the films, Quill's got this Walkman with the old mixtapes, and nowadays everyone's got some version of an iPhone uh, or something of that nature. So why the Walkman? Why mixtapes, and what do we learn from that? Well, I think in the movie, it's all about nostalgia and the reality. I can't imagine for decades and decades and decades in outer space and alternate universes that you're not going to have an old cassette break. But if you go with it, I think the takeaway is you don't always need the best, the newest technology. And I know this is absolutely something that my company learned the hard way. You know, there's always a new iPhone 10, 11, 12, and they're not that much better. You can fall victim to getting the newest, best technology. And it never works the first time. And it may not just be iPhones and listening to music. It, you know, it's so much further reaching. It's operating software. There's always something bigger and better, and you don't realize just what a time suck this is. It's the basics. And when you really look at what Star-Lord is doing, he's flying spaceships. I can't think of anything more technically innovative. And he's using a Walkman because it gets the job done. We spend more time trying to make things that are not broke better. You know what? That's more of a distraction than listening to music. When my team listens to music, they are focusing on what is most important in this company to get us moving. But what we don't realize is the amount of technology of a new copier and a new server and this new thing and, that, and then it doesn't integrate with this software. If you were to count the number of hours that you're wasting time and spending money getting you off course, when ultimately all you wanted to do is listen to your favorite song. And now, before we wrap up, I think we always like to do on these episodes is really come away with this lesson, the, the leadership lesson, or in this case, a team lesson, that people, our listeners, can take this right back to their business and apply it. And obviously, I think you touched on it earlier, that having diversity in your teams is important. That's the way that teams are brought together. It's not organic. But we all know that no individual, no team is perfect. What can we learn from that? What's the lesson or the takeaway that we can all take back to our businesses when we think about our own teams and how we grow and evolve together? Well, when it comes to building a diverse organization, at the beginning of the original Guardians of the Galaxy, Peter Quill, Star-Lord, you know, he's this roguish loner who seems more concerned with profit than people. And over the course of the film, he becomes a leader It's of this ragtag band of characters. You know, including a green-skinned assassin, a strong-willed strongman, and genetically engineered raccoon and a talking tree. So you can't get more diversity than that. And in the second film, the team grows and it includes that empath with the antennas. Quill's team didn't come together organically. They were pushed together by circumstance. Let's say the characters didn't like each other at first, but the complementary skill sets which allowed them to achieve their goals, they couldn't accomplish on their own. Diversity has been proven to enhance creativity, inventiveness, productivity, and profitability. But I always remember many, many years ago, we were recruiting every summer, teams of summer interns. And we would make our list of people that we want, and you know, we'd give an offer, and we usually would fill the team out with three summer interns. And you know, you give your first offer, and that woman didn't take the job. She decided to take a job somewhere else, and you offered the second guy, and... It was just a process of matching. And I had this crazy experience where one summer just randomly happened to be three women. The first one was a tall American blonde woman from a rich suburb in Philadelphia. 
The second one was African-American. The third one was from Japan, an exchange student. So they were all students at the University of Pennsylvania, the Ivy League school in our backyard, and they started their summer internship, and the very first day, they looked at each other and my God, this is amazing diversity. Your organization is making a conscious effort to bring women into the company. Not true, it was just random. Then they looked at each other, and they saw that one had red hair, one had brown hair, one had blonde hair, and they were ethnically diverse. And they said, we're Charlie's Angels. I get it, I get it. And I'm looking at them saying, no, none of this was done by design. I turned to them and I made this mistake. I said, I am so happy that you're at this organization because you are the best and brightest people that I could find. I care about your skin color as much as I care about your hair color. I couldn't care less. I am the more progressive employer because I'm not a university trying to have diversity by definition. I'm more interested in your skill sets. And as soon as I said, I couldn't care less about your skin color or your hair color, these three young women said, what's wrong with my hair? I go, no, 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 no. That's not what I'm trying to say, guys. Yeah, I'm saying to you that you are the best and brightest and you're here for what you can learn and what you can accomplish. So let, let's bring this back to Guardians of the Galaxy. It's not that there's diversity because we definitely need to have a blue woman on our team and a green woman on our team and a weird looking purplish strongman on our team and a talking animal on our team. That's not gonna get you anywhere except for window dressing. And there's all kinds of politics and we can go down that road. You know, I, I commend people who want to have diversity for the sake of diversity. But if you really wanna be progressive, you realize the people you're bringing to the company, it's more important how they see the world differently how they think differently. Are they gonna to relate to my customer? Yeah, I do like to have men and women on the team. And by definition, we have all kinds of races, religions, and backgrounds, but it wasn't a concentrated effort. It was a byproduct, and I created a culture where people could thrive, but it wasn't a Benetton ad by design. Now, one of these aspects of teams, and I think it's probably represented quite well in Guardians of the Galaxy, is that they fail at times. They openly, accept the failure. What do we learn from that in our own teams and, and how we should be tackling the failure when you bring these diverse teams together and try to tackle all of these problems with new solutions and sometimes you fail? How do we deal with that and learn from Guardians of the Galaxy? Well, the leadership lesson there is that there are no perfect people and there are no perfect teams. Failure is a part of your growth curve. It's how you anticipate and respond to those failures that determine how much you grow. Your team members are going to fail and how you handle those failures will define how they grow and how your team performs for you. So look at the Guardians. They are the losers. They're constantly failing, but learning from their mistakes. You know, I remember that years ago when I was working for a large corporation and we had someone on the team make a big mistake and it was gonna cost us hundreds of thousands of dollars. And we worked on it as a team. There's always a way out, we figured something out and it could have been really, really bad. But ultimately what we thought was gonna cost around $800,000 was this guy's mistake. It did cost us money, but we got it down to 100 grand. And naturally people said, well, I guess you gotta fire that guy. I said, wait a second, you now have somebody 
who is nervous and self-conscious. Everybody knew he made this mistake. He's self-aware. And you want to replace him with somebody who has never experienced that failure? Think about what you're doing. Now you have a guy who has eagle eyes and you better believe he is gonna triple check, quadruple check, and absolutely never make this mistake again. I say keep that guy on your team as long as you can. Yeah, that's a great lesson I think we can all learn from. And just to wrap us up here, you know, obviously teams are important. We're always trying to build and develop our teams because a lot of the things that we're approaching every day in businesses are just too big to handle on our own. And having that team, a diverse team with different skill sets is critical for our survival and growth. What do you have this parting advice on how we could take some of these lessons and, and bring them back to our business and use them for our listeners? Well, there are things in life that are too big to handle on your own. A big part of the Guardian of the Galaxy story, you know, that line in the film that involves you know, that very powerful stone, it's, it's so powerful that most beings simply cannot deal with it by themselves. If they try to hold it, it overwhelms them. So in the movie, our heroes figure out how to deal with the power of the stone by joining hands together, and they share in the burden. I think another leadership lesson from the, you know, the team dynamic here is that uh, all of us, we, we all want to feel appreciated. The best managers can inspire great work out of their employees by recognizing their efforts. You also, employees who say that they have a best friend at work are five times more likely to feel a connection to the company. So it's a combination of having friends at work and how you treat them. That's the core of that Galaxy team. They cheer for each other. Of course, they're cynical, they make fun of each other, they rib each other, they challenge each other, but at the core, they are friends. And that was the learning curve that the raccoon, Rocket, goes through. He didn't understand it, because he, he's been a loner all his life. And he breaks into tears at one point and then tries to cover it up because he realizes he's found his family. This is where he's accepted. And that, my friend, is the most valuable way of having employee retention. In my company, we have analyzed how much money and time and stress and drama we experience by replacing employees. You first relive all the errors of the past, all those issues, you then gotta deal with the recruiters. They're all used car salesmen, putting lipstick on a pig, and they cost thousands and thousands of dollars. Then we have to waste time. And then you find, you know, it's a lot like dating. You have to kiss a lot of frogs to find the right one. You find the right one, and then they're so great, they take a job somewhere else. And you go through this pattern and pattern and pattern. So much so that you end up spending more money and time on human resources. And none of this makes you money. None of this is part of your vision. But if you go back and say, hey, what if we created a family here? Where we're friends, we acknowledge each other, and we support each other. I'm not saying we goof off and we don't do work. We absolutely do. And to create that is incredibly difficult. It takes a long time to figure out who you want on your bus. It also takes a long time to figure out who you're gonna kick off of your bus. And probably the most difficult one out there is who's on the bus, but, but, but they're in the wrong seat. You gotta move it around. And I have gone through this, my organization has gone through it, we've read every book, every consultant, every lecture, every podcast. There's a lot of tricks to the trade, but ultimately it's a numbers game. You know, it, nobody has a crystal ball, and if they did it, 
you know, they'd sell it to you for millions and pick the perfect employee and just nail it and have everybody have long-term employee retention. Not going to happen. So what's, what's the trick? Look at the Guardians of the Galaxy. This ragtag team, nobody quits. No one gets fired. They're happy. They grow. How much money are you saving in your company if you can emulate that type of family atmosphere? I think that's a great tip for everybody and, and obviously developing your people, giving them career opportunities so they can grow while staying at your company obviously is going gonna, is gonna to help you in the long run. It's going to create less turnover, less drama in the workplace. So as we wrap this up, is there anything else we want to share with the audience about Guardians of the Galaxy and how we can apply that to, to our businesses right now? Well, I, I think there's another subtle takeaway from the film. It's about motivating your team to, to, to grab those new skills. You know, one of the most common dialogues that Peter Quill uh, constantly is saying to Gamora is, I don't learn. That's one of my issues. It's really not true. You know, Remember when the Guardians realized that Ronin has the Infinity Stone and the entire galaxy will be destroyed? Well, it's Quill who comes up with a plan, so he is learning. Other characters say, oh, I, I don't dance. That was Gamora's line, I don't dance. But she learns how to dance. Um, the other characters will say, well, I don't understand humor, I can't make a joke, and they learn how to make the joke. And this theme is there over and over and over again. When people come to an organization, we talked about identity. I am Groot. They're saying I'm a certain way, but they all have the potential to learn new things, but they don't see it. I think it's your job as a leader to bring it out of them. I think, uh, I think that's a great, great piece of advice to leave our audience with, and I would recommend that all of our listeners Go get uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, rent it, watch it again. I think you'll see it in a whole new light now, particularly if you are a business owner trying to grow your team. And you can learn a ton from Guardians of the Galaxy and how they're doing it. So thank you for being here and always tune in for another episode. We're going to be diving into other teams like this and other superheroes. So check back and tune in for all our episodes. Thank you for listening to the Gotham Principles Podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you enjoy listening to your podcasts and stay connected with us at GothamPrinciples.com.